Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, <clears throat> people get creative this time of year when it comes to wrapping gifts, um, especially if it has to do with enhancing the experience. I think people in love kind of do this a lot. Sometimes parents do. But when it comes to making a valuable present um, look ordinary, I've heard all kinds of stories. I mean, expensive jewelry being wrapped in old newspaper, because that's been a while because none of us actually read a hard copy newspaper anymore, right? Every time I buy a newspaper, hard copy, I don't do it very often, but they're like about that thin now. And I think about how thick they used to be. Uh, but I hear about people who wrap gifts, uh, expensive gifts in like paper shopping bags. It, it's meant to double the surprise. Or <clears throat> we could be talking about a guy who waited to the last minute to buy a present and doesn't have any wrapping paper. And some of the creativity comes from that. By the way, I, I was thinking about this a lot as I got into this series. It does seem that men are especially into this. I hear a lot of stories about engagement rings being presented in creative ways. Um, one woman loved nuggets, McDonald's nuggets. And so her fiance got a box of nuggets, stuck a ring, an engagement ring, right into a nugget. And then when the top was flipped open, on the back of the top, it said, will you marry me? The hot one today is avocados. It goes like this. You slice the avocado in half, take the seed out, put the ring in the middle of it, close the avocado back up. There was one guy who put the engagement ring in a cheeseburger. That would probably tell you something about that guy. <clears throat> but the worst story I came across was the guy put an engagement ring in a Frosty and the woman swallowed it. Now, I, I, I know how this happened. This happened with guys talking to guys. <laughs> and one guy says to the other guys, I know what would be cool. Now, ladies, if you hear a man say to other men, I know what would be cool, run, don't walk. <laughs> I saw what one bride-to-be the other day said. She said, please don't put my engagement ring in food. I'll have to think about where it's been every time I look at it. I've had a few gifts that have surprised me by the way they were wrapped. But you know, that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a different kind of gift. I want to talk about the gifts that come from God, the most important gifts that we'll ever receive. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 1, verse 17, and I especially love in this series and for this season, I especially love the Good News Translation. It puts it this way. Every good gift and every, listen to this, perfect present comes from heaven. It comes down from God, the creator. I love that phrase, perfect presence. Have you ever tried to find the perfect present? If you're in love or maybe you just want to do something for your kids or maybe that special person in your life and you say to yourself, I've got to find the perfect present. 
But the truth, truth of the matter is, there are no perfect presents in our world, but there are perfect presents, and the ones that exist come from God, and they come, and here's the thing that's behind the series, that oftentimes, God's perfect gifts come in ways that are hard to recognize. And most of the time, they won't come wrapped in spiritual bows, ribbons, and paper. They'll come wrapped in ways that are so ordinary, you'll be inclined to walk right past it and not see it as a gift. Or in some cases, the gift will be wrapped in a way that scares you. And because of that, you'll be inclined to think that it's not a gift at all. Well, I, I, am, a, <clears throat> I am a person who asks the question, why, a lot. I'm not a skeptic and I'm not a cynic, but I do want to know why things happen, how, why, why things work the way they work. So if I'm going to back up for a moment and I'm going to recognize that God gives me perfect gifts from heaven, but they come ramped strangely, I need to ask the question, why? Why does God do that? Is he just trying to, is he just trying to play with me? Is he trying to jerk me around? I think there are two very practical reasons, and once you hear these, I think you're going to see what I see. First of all, the first reason why God's gifts come wrapped strangely is that you and I live in a broken world. This world got broken in the box. When God created the first human beings, he meant for them to have a perfect world, but they didn't have a perfect world very long because they rebelled against God. They went rogue and chose to go with the enemy, and from that moment on, sin entered the world. Romans chapter 5 is empirically clear on that. The Bible says in Romans 5, by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And just so that we won't get too hard on Adam, the rest of that verse says, and death passed upon all, for all have sinned. So if I want to get mad at Adam for bringing sin in the world, God's like, well, hey, Mark, you got a rap sheet on your own. So it is a broken world. And in a broken world, broken things happen. And broken worlds make broken people and broken relationships and broken friendships and broken bodies. I mean, we could just go on and on and on because we can check these boxes in our own lives. We are broken people. We've had broken people create brokenness in our lives. And we've created brokenness in other people's lives. It is a broken world. And if a perfect present comes from heaven, it is going to have to go through the veil of a broken world. Every perfect present does come from heaven, but it'll always come to you in a broken world. It has to. There are no perfect presents in a broken world, and we know that. You can have the greatest marriage in the world, but it's not a perfect marriage. You can have a great job, but it's not a perfect job. You can have a healthy body, but it's not a perfect body. You can have a good day, but it's not a perfect day. It's just the fact that we live in a broken world. But God does send his perfect presence into our broken world. Now, the second reason, I'm just going to give you a scripture for this. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, the Bible says, God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Now, that could be the reason. That could, that's the second reason why God's perfect gifts come wrapped strangely. God is like, I don't think like you think. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. This is why people can never reach God by trying to imagine their way to him. Take, take for instance, I mean, if, if you were going to write a way for people to go to heaven, what would you write? If you didn't know what the Bible has to say, what would, how would you write a plan for people to go to heaven? Well, I know what we would do. 
it would be some iteration of you have to be a good person. What is God's plan? God loved the world. We're all broken. He knows we can't live a, a good life or a perfect life. So what does he do? He sends himself. He sends his son into the world. And he lives a life for us that we can't live. And he died the death that we should die for eternity. Walked out of the grave under three days. And God puts a deal on the table where broken people can come no matter what they've done and be forgiven of their sins and have a relationship with God and go to heaven. I, I could tell you this. If it were not for the word of God, we would never imagine a plan like that. Which is why God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Well, that's enough if we just saw it in English, but it's written in Hebrew. And I just want to talk to you for a few moments about the words thoughts and ways, because this is not God just giving us the same thing twice and giving us two, two words that are synonyms. If you were to look at the Hebrew language, when God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, I don't know if we have any engineers here. I'm sure that we do. But basically, it would be my engineering is not your engineering. Well, we, we get our word machinations from that. God is like saying, my plans are not your plans. And then when God says, my ways are beyond anything that your ways are, if you have known the Lord for a long time, after a while, you can begin to know a little bit how he thinks. And we can kind of guess what he's up to. And so what God is saying is, look, even if you could guess what I'm up to, I put the pieces together differently than you put the pieces together. See, this is why when some of us who begin to contemplate this series, as you're starting to get into this a little bit, you're looking back on stuff that's happened in your life and you're saying, yeah, God had a plan and I didn't see it at first and I didn't know what he was up to. But even when I began to figure out his plan he just put details together differently than I would have. He put different people in there than I would have picked. I mean, he just used different circumstances and different timings. Do you understand what God is saying? God is like, my plan is not your plan. And even if you figured out my plan, I'm going to put it together, together differently than you ever would. But of course, we always look back on it. And what is it that we say when we're trying to explain to people what we've been through? We say, it's a God thing. You understand, when we say it's a God thing, we're just doing the other bracket. We're just doing the other parenthesis from Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And when we live through it, we say, this is a God thing. You know what? That's accurate. It is a God thing. So you put those two thoughts together. It's a broken world. And God's ways and his ways of assembling things are different from ours. And you'll understand this series and you'll understand a whole lot of life. That's the introduction. Does that count against my time? Thank you. <laughs> Today, I want to begin the series with one that I've lived, and many of you have lived, and probably we will all live before we go to heaven. I want to talk to you about the wonderful gift of deliverance wrapped strangely in trouble. Now, there's so many places in the Bible that we could go to talk about this. I mean, Mary Alice and I read about one this morning in our Bible reading early. You could talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. They had the presence of the Lord walking with them in the middle of a furnace of fire, deliverance wrapped in trouble. You could read about Peter in the book of Acts who was arrested for preaching and the angel came and got him out of prison as deliverance wrapped in trouble. Jonah 
Well, there's a case of deliverance wrapped in trouble. Daniel and the lion's den. We could just go on and on and on, and we could tell Bible stories about this, and you could tell stories of your own, of your life. I mean, some of us here today, if we could be on stage, and this would be great. When we get to heaven, I'm thankful that we won't have a clock. <sighs> Wouldn't it be something if we could all stand on stage today, those of us who have lived through this, and say, I know exactly what this is about. Deliverance, I, I didn't see it coming. I thought it was going to break me, but instead, it, 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 God used it to make me. I had trouble, but you know, and here's the thing, here's what we would say. We would talk about the trouble. We might even have a few tears that come down our eyes, and we talked about how scared we were and how much trouble we were in and how we thought we were going to go down for the third time. But then there would be that, you know, putting in the clutch and the shifting of the gears where we would say, but you know what? I experienced God like I've never experienced him before. He was so real to me. He, he was so there. Deliverance wrapped in trouble. There is a special story in the Bible, though, that I want to go to for a few moments because it has some wonderful teaching moments. One of the reasons why I love this story so much is it reminds me of where we're living in 2023. It was a dysfunctional time nationally. I mean, it was the nation of Israel, but the nation of Israel, although they were God's people, they were sure not living like God's people. They had a wicked king on the throne. The people weren't living for God, and God was trying to, well, you know, I think it was President Reagan who used to say, until they can see the light, they'll feel the heat, and so Lord was kind of doing that with Israel. And they were beginning to be hassled by the world power at that time, which was Syria. And the king of Syria wanted to wipe out Israel like he was wanting to wipe out the other nations. His idea was to rule the world. And he had the most powerful army in the world, and it shouldn't have been much trouble to wipe out a weak, spiritually weak nation like Israel. But every time the king of Syria would come up with this perfect battle plan, the problem was when he would bring his superior army into Israel, the armies of Israel were perfectly positioned waiting for him. And he kept losing. And he kept losing over and over and over. And he couldn't figure out why he kept losing because he knew he had the superior army. But the main thing he couldn't figure out was why, why does the army, why do the armies of Israel know our battle plans? So he did what you would expect him to do. The king of Aram, that's Syria, became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who's been informing the king of Israel of my plans? Which of you is on the payroll of the king of Israel? It's not us, my lord, the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Well, now, the king of Syria got thinking about this. If, if my problem, if the reason why I can't wipe out this nation is a preacher down there that for some reason seems to know what I'm up to, well, verse 13, go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but there's something here about the blindness and the ignorance of sin, because I'm just telling you, if, if I'm the king of Syria and somehow there's a God so powerful that he can tell a preacher where my army is going to be, I'm not too sure I want to mess with that God. But like I say, sin has a way of being blind and dumb. So he says, okay, there's no problem. I mean, verse 14, 
One night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. A whole army, the most powerful army in the world, to get one God follower. And you could be listening to the story and you're like, okay, this sounds pretty far-fetched. Not in the spiritual realm. I mean, this is as much trouble as one person can get into. You got a whole army to get one person. But it's not so strange when you and I think about it because in the book of Ephesians, the Bible talks about what you're up against and me. The Bible says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, if you're a God follower, your enemy is never a human being. I tell you what, there are a lot, I don't counsel anymore but I've counseled hundreds if not thousands of couples and there are a lot of couples I would have liked to have let them know your enemy is not your wife. Your enemy is not your husband. We never fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world. All of those are designations for demons. Demons are not the weird caricatures that we see in artwork. Demons are angels. They're rogue angels. When Satan rebelled against God, a third of the angels went with him. I mean, here's what Peter said, and he knew firsthand what he was talking about. First Peter 5, 8, your enemy. That's very personal, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing if you think about, well, okay, the church has an enemy. Uh, the nation has an enemy. Um, Mark is a pastor. He's got an enemy. Peter said, your enemy. You do have an enemy. Who is your enemy? Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And one more time, I want to just say, because I mean, I know we had something here in Wichita the other day. It's like at a mall, and there were these people holding signs talking about the devil, and, and people were freaking out. And it was like, hey, Mark, did you know we have this in our city? Well, I don't like it. But I want you to understand something. The, the real devil is not the caricature that you see I mean, with a goat head and pentagrams and all that kind of stuff, the devil's got to really get a good laugh out of that. Let me tell you how the devil works. He's very sophisticated. And his goal, but the Bible says he presents himself as an angel of light. So consequently, he's always going to try to get you off of God's path by luring you into something that he's going to tell you is good for you. That's how Satan works. I mean, hey, you got the Bible on this. What did he do with Jesus? I mean, did he come tempting Jesus and said, I'm going to draw pentagrams on, and for all of you who are really, really old, he didn't start playing rock music backward. <laughs> I mean, it was like Jesus, it, Peter, it, uh, Satan didn't say to Jesus, okay, now I'm going to, I'm, we're going to draw 666 in the sand. No. He came to Jesus with, I'm here for you. You're hungry. Turn these rocks into bread. I'm worried about you. You don't have anything to eat. And you know what, Jesus? I'm worried about you because people just don't know who you are. I know who you are. So here's how they will know who you are. Jump off the temple. The angels will catch you. I'll be on the 6 o'clock news. I mean, people will be sharing that. And yeah, I mean, I, I know what the Father has planned He's got you living this perfect life down here. He got you leaving the ivory palaces of heaven. You're down here with no place to live, no place to sleep. 
and you've got 12 guys following you and they're a mess and they just don't get it. And man, they're going to nail you to a cross and you're going to hang there. For what? Tell you what. I'm going to tell you, I, 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 I got a plan for you. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die. All you have to do is just, just bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. That's how Satan works. You need this. You need this woman. He, he understands you like your husband doesn't understand you. That's how Satan works. Let me ask you a question today. Did you ever feel like all hell was against you? I mean, did you ever feel like all hell was against your marriage? Did you ever feel like all hell was against your kids? You're right. It is. It is. And what Satan would love more than anything else, he would love for you to think the problem is your kids. And the problem is your wife. He'll tell you that he's here for you. Frankly, what we're reading about in 2 Kings is very practical. I mean, here's a guy who gets up and he looks out and there's this whole army there. And somebody could be here, and I know this is a holiday weekend. You say, Mark, I don't believe in any of this stuff. I'm an agnostic. I'm just here with my family. I'm just here with my girlfriend. And I'm not sure about God, and I sure don't believe in a devil. I understand that, and I respect your views. But I'm guessing if you're perfectly candid with me, there have been times in your life where you felt opposition that was difficult to explain. Oh, that's where Elisha's servant is when he wakes up. I mean, it's his assistant. His name is Gehazi. Every once in a while, I accidentally say that because I don't know his name. But I mean, Gehazi wakes up one morning and he looks out the window and he sees the world's most powerful army in his subdivision. And he freaks out. In verse 15, the servant said to him, alas, my master, alas there. It's interesting to look at that word in Hebrew. It's really just a sound. He, he, the, the sound goes, ah, that's what it is in Hebrew. And then he asks the question, what shall we do? This is the question of a God follower who's not in touch with God's ways of doing things. See, God, he knows God. I mean, we could, I, I did a series on Elisha, I think it was back in 2005, called G2, Generation 2. But I love preaching that series. Gehazi has seen God do a lot of miracles like some of us have seen God do miracles. Gehazi has seen God answer prayers. I mean, he is Elisha's right hand. He is Elisha's assistant. He has been there when God did miracles. But then when he woke up that morning and he looked out his window and he saw the world's most powerful army surrounding his house, it's like, okay, God has gotten me out of other trouble, but he can't get me out of this one. This is too much even for somebody who has seen God work. You and I will probably be inclined to be in that spot. I know I'm talking to some of you that are still exploring, but many of you have known the Lord for many years and you've watched God answer prayers and you're like, God can get me out of that, but he can't get me out of this. So when he screams to the prophet, what shall we do? It sounds like a real question, but it's not a real question. It's a rhetorical question. If the grammar were straightened out to be literal, it would be, there's nothing we can do. And I can tell you firsthand, this is where Satan would like to get us. 
He can't, if you're a believer, he can't get you unsaved. But if he can get you to think out of touch with heaven, he can at least kick us around for a little while. What shall we do? There's hand-wringing going on. Now, Gehazi doesn't expect it, but he's about to get one of those perfect presents, something so wonderful that we're talking about it 2,700 years later on a snowy day in Kansas. When he opens up this present, this box that is wrapped in trouble, he is going to find God's perfect present of deliverance. Rescue. It's wrapped up strangely. It's wrapped up in an invading army. But let's read about this. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So you understand, the most powerful army was surrounding Elisha, but there was even a more powerful army surrounding the army of Syria. Let's take this apart for a few minutes. According to the clock, I got about seven minutes. Do I have overtime? Maybe 12? Because there's life-changing help here. The first lesson, I'm just going to take it directly from the words of Scripture. Don't be afraid. There are more on our side than on theirs. Now, what jumps off the page to me is this is not denial. I mean, I, I've listened to some of the prosperity gospel preachers, and to me it sounds like what they're preaching is denial. I mean, Elisha didn't say the Syrian army is not really out there. It's just in our heads. Notice that he said, don't be afraid because there are more with us. Than with with them. Wow, we need this today. I mean, I talk to Christians all over the country, and I, I know all the, there are all kinds of problems out there. The church as a whole is is in huge decline in the United States. I know there's a lot of craziness in our nation, in our world, and I see so many Christians just hand-wringing, and they're asking Gehazi's question: What can we do? See, here's the thing. When he opens his eyes and sees the army out there, what he's seeing is an army of angels. And never forget that, and there, by the way, Revelation tells us there are millions and millions of angels. Angels are not baby-like softies with gossamer wings. Thirteen chapters later in the book of 2 Kings chapter 19, the Bible says when the next world power, Assyria, tried to besiege Judah, God sent one angel, read this with me, that night the, count it, one. One angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That's opening up quite a can. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. One angel. And you understand that when Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes, the guy opened his eyes and he saw an army of angels out there. So the king of Syria sent his whole army to get Elisha. God sent his bigger army. I know a lot of you like to read your Bible. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever come across a little phrase called the Lord of Heaven's armies? Did you ever see that reading through the, the Bible? Did you know it's in the Bible more than once? <laughs> when I was in my late teens in Texas studying, studying theology, preparing for ministry, I remember having a professor who said, if you see something one time in the Bible, it's true. It's the word of God. If it's rightly 
If it's rightly understood, rightly divided, it's true. He said if you see something in the Bible twice, it's God's way of saying, pay especially close attention to this. He said, you see something more than twice? It's like it's flashing light. God is like, don't miss this. For instance, if you take the expression, the just will live by faith, it's four times in the Bible. God's plan for marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they two shall become one. That's four times in the Bible. Once in the Old Testament, twice in the Gospels, once in the New Testament, in the epistles. So I just want you to know when the Bible says the Lord of heaven's armies, it's in the Bible more than once. Do you know how many times? 257. What do you think God wants you to learn at that? Yeah, you got armies surrounding you. You got, a, you got all hell against you, but don't worry about that. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because he's the Lord of heaven's armies. And there's more with you than that's on the other side. My, you want to hear my favorite? I love every time I come across the Lord of heaven's armies, I want to jump up and down. But my personal favorite is in the 46th Psalm. It's in verses 7 and 11. It's the same line both times. It just says the Lord of heaven's armies is here. I don't know who's here today. I mean, it's a small crowd, small crowd because we've got eight and a half inches of snow out there. I understand that. I don't know who all is here, but I do know one person is here. The Lord of heaven's armies is here. What do you have that's troubling you today? What do you have that's worrying you? What do you have that's getting you down? What are you dealing with where you feel the hot breath of hell? Well, the good news today is the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us today. That's worth being happy about on a cold day. I don't know what he's gonna do. I don't know when he's gonna do it. I don't know how he's gonna do it. I just know this, I know he's here. I know he's here. One more lesson and we're through. I take this directly from the words of Elisha when he prayed because his servant was freaking out. He said, Lord, open his eyes. Now understand, if you will, that Elisha's prayer did not bring the angels. They were already there. And there's never anything in the Bible that tells us that Elisha's eyes could see the angels. Maybe he didn't need them. Maybe he just took the word of God at its face value. But the issue was they weren't helpless like Gehazi thought they were. It was just that he was only going by what he could see. I have a big series coming up in January. You may see the signs around there. It's got a little beach king air with the nose tipped up and it's called flying by instruments. Because you see, IFR pilots, they can fly on days when other pilots can't fly. You know, the VFR pilots are pretty well relegated to flying by what they can see out their windshield. But an IFR pilot can fly when he can't see or she can't see out her windshield because they are trained to have superior information by which they interpret the ways to fly. That is faith. Faith is not wanting to believe something so much that it's true. That's fantasy. Faith is having superior information. Faith is when I can't see out my windshield. I'm flying by instruments. I'm taking the word of God. And so that's where Elisha was. Elisha was, he, he was a IFR rated pilot. He was, he was trained. He was exercised, as the book of Hebrews says. He was trained to read the instruments, to read the word of God. Gehazi was a VFR pilot. He was depending upon what he could see. So, Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. 
One of the silliest things that you and I can ever believe is that reality is based on only what we can see. Now, God has given us the gift of physical sight. It's quite something. I mean, I've had several eye surgeries, and I've got one more procedure to have done. I can just tell you, physical sight, the way God works with the eyes and the brain and all of that, you never... <laughs> You sure never could sell me on Darwinian evolution just looking at the mechanics and the engineering of sign. But if we think that's all there is, we're very foolish. There is a curtain between the material world and the spiritual world, but it's amazingly thin. I was talking to Katie earlier this week and she said that the last day that Nick was awake, she said there was a moment where he smiled and he lifted his hands. There is a curtain between this world and the next world, but it's very thin. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we live by faith and not by sight. Sometimes we will be in the place of Elisha. We love somebody. Maybe it's one of your kids. <clears throat> Maybe it's the person you're in a relationship with. Maybe somebody you work with. We love somebody, but they just can't see. And we're going to need to pray the prayer of Elisha. Lord, open his eyes. My kid, he's a great kid, but he just can't see. God, see, see, here's the thing. Sometimes our faith, this is worth coming for. Sometimes our faith is going to have to stand in for somebody else. See, you can see, they can't. And you know what we do if we're not careful? We're going to say, I don't know why they don't get it. I don't know why they don't get it. They just fall down and get hurt and they get back up and do the same thing over and over. I don't know why they don't get it. I don't know. See, the problem is that's not what God asks us to do. God asks us for our faith to stand in for theirs. God, would you open her eyes? Let her see what she can't see. God, that part that she just can't get, I pray that your Holy Spirit will reveal it to her. Lord, open his And then I feel this one a lot. Because sometimes we'll be in the place of Gehazi. And if we go by what we can see, we know we're going to go down. But we know there's more than what we can see. And we have to pray, Lord, open my eyes. God, let me see what I don't see. God, I don't get it. You got to help me get it. <laughs> Open my eyes. This is our first message. But it could be a series all by itself, couldn't it? I've lived this one. I've lived it and lived it and lived it and lived it. That oftentimes God's perfect present of deliverance comes wrapped in trouble. And when it's all said and done, I look back and say, it was a God thing. 
his perfect present came wrapped in a very ugly package. Let's pray. You know, the most perfect, the quintessential perfect present was salvation. We'll talk about this Christmas Eve. The title for Christmas Eve is Salvation Wrapped in Cheap Cloth. But when we were sinners and when we were broken and we couldn't save ourselves, God had a plan and he sent Jesus into our world to live the life we can't live and then paid for our sins by dying for us on the cross. And three days later, he did what no human could do. He walked out of the grave under his own power. And right now, God has this present. You know, this is the thing about this particular present. It's on the table right now. It's under the tree. And anybody, anywhere, anytime can come flawed, come broken, and ask Jesus for that gift and you can be forgiven. Your sins can be washed away. Your name can be written in the census book of heaven. And you're forever God's child. Not the way we would have done it, but that didn't matter. We couldn't come up with a perfect present anyway, but God did. And you say, Mark, what do I have to do to receive this gift? What do you have to do to receive any gift? You just reach out and accept it. And if you're here, if you're willing to believe that Jesus died for you, if you're willing to believe that he was risen from the grave, if you're willing, if you're willing to believe that he will do what he said he would do, which is to come into your life, why not take a chance on him today? Why not just reach out and accept this gift? It's not by joining a church, doing community services, surely not by giving money. None of those things would work anyway. They may be good in their places, but eternal life is in a gift. And if you're ready to receive Jesus, you can do it right now. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And if you want to join me in this prayer, you can. These are not words that save you, but if you mean these words from your heart, God will listen. And I'll pray this prayer slowly. I'll put a little break in between each line so you can decide if you want to say it to God. Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I admit it. I'm broken and I can't fix myself. But I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior. And I worship him as my king. Give me the strength to live a new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just pray with me, I have a gift for you. It's not as good as the one you just got, but I have a gift for you. I have a box. Inside is a Bible, a new spring a little book I wrote called My New Walk with God that'll answer a lot of questions that you might still have. It's free. will not cost you anything. All you have to do to get it is to text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. If you're watching online, I know many of you are today or watching on television, all you have to do is text PRAYED to 97,000, follow the steps, we will mail this to you. But if you're here, you don't have to wait. Just go to any info center. You'll recognize them by the blue and white coloration and just say, I pray with Mark. They'll give this to you today. Thank you for being here today for the first week of our Christmas series. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.